0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 48 of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all very much for downloading this episode wherever you are right now listening. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. And we are just two episodes away from our massive season three finale which will be the episode 100 of the podcast, which is just crazy. I can't believe we've gotten to episode 100, but we definitely wouldn't have made it if it wasn't for you guys and your constant support of the podcast and your downloads and listening. So thank you very, very much. Now today we talked to the golden girl of Australian swimming right now. She's a world champion of the 400 metre freestyle and a woman who dominated the com Games in 2018 on the Gold Coast. Her nickname, name is Arnie, but you all know her as Ariane Titnus. I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Ariane a few weeks ago and discussing how she's been going through the pandemic, not heading over to the ISL due to the restrictions, her early days in the pool and growing up in Tassie. As well, we touched on her rise to the top of Aussie swimming and now world swimming, the pressures that come with that, racing one of the best female swimmers of all time in Katie Ledecky and beating her last year in Guangzhou and so much more. So turn the volume up, grab a cold drink, because it is a hot day out there if you're in Sydney, get pumped and get ready, because ep 48 my chat with Ariane tipness starts now. Take your Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in a 2nd in it? Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert and Ian Thorpe, battling it out down the pool. Thorpe the signature of all eyes is the great Phantom Butterfly, Susie so O'Neill. Oh, he's coming back. Oh, he's surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the right hands. Knott in the black hats, and Knott has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Thornton, Thornton Hall, Hall. Today on the show is the current women's 400 meter freestyle world champion. She captured Australia's attention over the last few years with her amazing performances, com games, pan packs, and no doubt at last year's world champs in Guangzhou, where she had a phenomenal meet, including a silver medal in the 200, bronze in the 800, a world record, and a gold medal with her teammates in the 4x200 meter relay. And of course, as I just mentioned before, gold in the 400 meter freestyle. It's a massive welcome to Off the Block Swimming Podcast. To Ariane titmus Ariane, how are you?
1: Good. Thanks for having me.
0: Not a trouble at all. I'm I'm glad we could uh, get you in, mate. It's a Saturday, and I, actually my wife was saying, oh, what are you doing interviews on a Saturday for us? So listen, when Ariane says all I could do is a Saturday at twelve, <laughs> you just do a Saturday at twelve. So not a trouble at all. Now I know you trained this morning. How would that go? It
1: was good. It's um nice up here now. The weather's starting to warm up, so I'm starting to get a bit of a tan, but um, it was a long one this morning, um, you know, just kicking through the laps, um, but I enjoyed it. It's good now to be done for the week and have a good weekend and then um restart all over again on monday
0: mm. for all those uh, younger listeners out there mate and i was talking to you before about some of the ones that i train where we do we do some aerobic on a saturday morning what do you do to keep yourself motivated when those sets are super long and and sort of tedious but you know you've got to do it and it's that work that ultimately will probably go on to have the biggest effect on you but how do what do you go where do you go in your mind through those sort of sessions
1: well, usually, most of the time, I definitely have something that I'm thinking about in my stroke or my skills. So whether I'm concentrating every turn to do a certain amount of kicks, or whether I'm focusing on length of my stroke, I try to count my stroke. If we're doing, um, you know, some longs, means say like a thousand easy at the end, um, you know, I try to count my strokes every second lap and just keep check of that. But usually, I honestly sometimes just have a song in my head or. I might be swimming next to someone and I set a little goal for myself to try and catch up to them or beat them by 10 meters or something. Um, but it'll, I always try to keep, keep myself occupied. Honestly, I don't get too bored, which is, I think, something pretty good because as a distance swimmer, it, you know, it can get quite tedious um, but I try my best to keep myself um, interested.
0: Now, mate, the ISL season two kicks off, I think in about two weeks time. I think everyone, including myself is excited to finally see some international racing and it's going to be really good. What are your thoughts on obviously a lot of the Aussies not being able to head over? I know you are going to be a part of the Cali Condors, but unfortunately, you know, you can't get over there. It must be a little bit disappointing to not be amongst it.
1: Yeah, it definitely is because it's been such a long time since we've raced. I mean, the last time I raced long course, I'm I'm pretty sure it was Worlds in, in Guangzhou last year. So it's been a while and I was definitely excited um, for the camaraderie of the team. I, I loved being part of the Condors last year and I was excited to be back with the group and racing and, you know, being high pressure situations, which we haven't had for a while. It's just been a bit of a grind, um, continually training with nothing really there. Um, so it was disappointing, but I feel, you know, there's going to be more opportunities in many years to come to do ISL. And at the moment, I think the most important thing is making sure we stay safe. And, you know, if the government believes that that's the right thing for us to do to stay home, I'm all for that. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to Queensland State.
0: Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right in terms of putting things into perspective, isn't it? And no doubt the ISL is. Uh, phenomenal success and I I believe as well as you do that it will go on for many many more years to come so you know just because we're not able to get there this year it doesn't mean you're not there the year after or the year after that now you mentioned Guangzhou uh, and no doubt you know phenomenal success for for you last year you must have been buzzing then coming into this year and knowing that it was a you know Olympic preparation Tokyo was on the horizon so firstly how did you go when you got that news that everything was going to be postponed and everything that you were sort of gearing up for was going to, Hey, Hey, let's put a hold on that Wait till next year. And then secondly, how did you turn that sort of slight negative into a positive, you know, in terms of 2021?
1: Well, I remember the exact day that we got told that, um, you know, firstly, the AOC had pulled the whole team out of the Olympics, that the Olympics hadn't actually been um, postponed yet, but, that day, that morning, it was a Monday morning, and Dean had a meeting with us, and he said, um, you know, I feel like the Olympics is going to be on. You know, it's going to be the hope of 2020, so we all let our hopes up. Mm. And then that afternoon, I was um, napping, and I woke up to about 30 messages on my phone, and it was just, um, you know, everyone saying the news. You know, the AOC had pulled us out, and training had been cancelled. And at first, it, it didn't really hit me. Um, I continued my day as if I was going to training like normal life, I ate the same lunch prepared, and then it was when, you know, Dean sent the message out that we had to come in for a meeting and training had been cancelled indefinitely. I pretty much cried uh, on and off for four days straight. Um, it's just it was more the fact that it was a shock to the system. It wasn't the fact that I was – I mean, I was obviously very upset, but it was just because you're in such a, a grind and routine for that all to be completely stopped. Um, out of nowhere was um yeah tough to handle but I got through it and um in lockdown I you know I kind of turned it around like you said into a positive I tried to do things um to keep my fitness up that I wouldn't usually get to do so I did a lot more running um tried to keep my my core good um made up circuits at home and I got into things that I usually wouldn't get into like playing um you know board games puzzles painting I did lots of cooking um, which I enjoyed but for me I think the biggest positive out of this is it actually could be a win for a lot of us because it means we have an extra year to try and get things better that maybe we didn't quite have perfect or near perfect for the Olympics and uh now looking back I'm actually you know, happy that we've had this extra year and, um, you know, putting it all into perspective, I think it's definitely um, the right decision. I
0: mm. think It's interesting in terms of your reaction to it and you're not the first one that sort of said brought tears to them and they sort of, you know, struggled with it for a few days because I don't think any of the listeners out there that aren't elite athletes or elite coaches who are at that level, who, you know, see what you guys go through. I don't think people can genuinely understand. I know I, you know, I couldn't because the amount of time and energy and effort and, you know, um, mental energy as well that you guys put into, even if it's not an Olympic preparation, but a world championships, if you've got those high, those high goals, which I know you, you and Dean most certainly would have that high bar. There's a lot of mental energy that goes into that, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely, and you know, swimming as a sport, um, as much as I love it, is quite mentally draining. It, it's pretty similar every day. I mean, on the on the days that I have double sessions, I, you know, train, come home, eat, sleep, eat, get ready, have my coffee, go to the pool, get home late, have dinner, go to bed, and it's it's such I'm such a routine person, and so for me to have to stop all of that and literally not even have the option to go and swim at a local pool um, was something that, you know, I struggled with in the end, I mean, at the start. So for me, I tried to put routine in my life where I could. So even though I got to sleep in, I tried to wake up at the same time every day or eat my meals at the same time and just try to keep that routine going. And then I think that also helped me when we got to return to swimming. Um, it's like I didn't have to get back into, you know, things and I hadn't been, you know, routine for a while it was kind of easy for me to get back into being strict with my eating and um, sleeping routine I guess. Hmm.
0: How did you feel getting back in the pool after you had a bit of time off Um, we did you was it easier or harder than you thought it might be?
1: Well for me I since I was seven I haven't had longer than two weeks out of the pool so Uh, it was a huge break for me and it was honestly easier than I thought we took it quite slow like there was no point jumping back into nine sessions and you know swimming 60k a week so um, we just you know took it one at a day one a day at the start nice and easy aerobic pretty much just just swimming Um, we didn't really have to think it was just mindless and you know there was a few speed spikes here and there to try and Um, get that going again. But then slowly Dean built it up, built it up. And then before you know it, you're back swimming just as you were and doing sessions that you were doing before. And um, even though it took time, it, it honestly has felt like, you know, everything's come back pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. In hindsight, I know, obviously the pandemic has been terrible, so I'm not going to say it was a blessing because there's a lot of bad stuff that has happened because of it. But in hindsight, I think a lot of uh, coaches and swimmers sort of look at this break as, you know, um, you know, a silver lining in terms of, you know, giving everyone a chance to have a break, giving the body a time to recover, giving those younger athletes, as we spoke about before and and of the year to, you know, grow and, and get bigger and get stronger.
1: Definitely. I feel for younger athletes that are kind of in between, um, you know, they're past making a junior team, but they're kind of in the middle. They're not quite there to make a senior team or the Olympics. I feel that this is the greatest thing that could have ever happened to them. For mm. you to ever think in your swimming career that you've been given an extra year to get stronger and fitter and faster. Um, it's kind of unheard of. So definitely for a few of the younger swimmers in my squad, it's been such a great thing for them because they're still growing. And even for me, um, you know, it's going to give me another year to be older and try to learn things to be even better for next year.
0: Absolutely. Now, talking about, you just said before, when you were seven and growing up, you grew up in Tasmania, which I don't know, I I guess people that follow you would know that. But anyone that doesn't follow you closely might not know that. Firstly, talk to me about what was life like growing up in Tasmania and and what drew you towards the pool? Because it's a little bit colder down there. So it's not (laughs) as if, I know everyone in Queensland says, oh, well, I had to get to a pool somehow because it was so hot, but not necessarily the case down there, is it?
1: Yeah, well, growing up in Tassie was, um, I loved it. I had a great childhood and um, I grew up on 16 acres and I had um, a pool at my house ever since I was born. So that's part of the reason why I think I got into swimming. But I don't know, I feel like um, I was just never afraid of the water and going through school and going through sport classes and swimming carnivals, I always just thrived around swimming and always wanted to race and that's kind of how I got into it and um, yeah when I was in grade two my dad said you know we should sign you up for um, the local swimming pool down the road it was about five minutes from my house and signed up there started doing squad training club night Um, I remember I remember it so clearly and um, that's pretty much how I got into it I did other things um, because I lived on acreage we had horses um, in our front lawn so it was pretty cool to looked down and we had a view of the river and we had horses, um, I did pony club and, um, show jumping that type of thing. And, but then once swimming started to pick up, um, it was just too hard to do both of them, especially when you're involved with an animal. It's not something that you can just decide to stop training. You have to keep riding them. So, um, that's where it came to, you know, having to sell the horses, which was heartbreaking, but in the end it was obviously the right decision. And, um, From there, my swimming just kind of took off. I think we sold the horses when I was about 12. Hmm. And, um, yeah, swimming just started to take off from there. And since uh, probably grade seven, swimming's the only sport I've done. I I did school cross country and that type of thing, but um, competitively, swimming was um, the one.
0: Did you have any sort of heroes or idols that you looked up to growing up?
1: I mean, I'm not someone that's always um in swimming had someone that I am one eyed for but um I remember clearly watching the Beijing Olympics it's the year that I started swimming and I saw uh Libby Trickett and Steph Rice win gold there and um definitely seeing Steph win three gold was like made me want to you know one day go the Olympics and I remember that and um yeah it's just a vivid memory in my mind seeing that and seeing I clearly remember what the Olympics looked like um I'm not, I wasn't old enough um, when the Athens Olympics were on, but Beijing, I clearly remember seeing, you know, the pool and that, the atmosphere, and I thought, this is what I want to do.
0: Mm. Talk to me about the move then over to Brisbane, swimming at St. Peter's Western. How did that all come about? Because it couldn't have been easy to sort of, you know, as you said, you you know, you loved where you you lived, you're on acreage. I mean, how did you sort of, how did that move come about?
1: Initially, um, I remember I won my first age national title when I was 13 the 23 and talks started before then you know maybe maybe in the future we should look at moving um you know I was starting to be kind of on my own in training I didn't really have anyone to train with and I remember I said no I'm not moving I had so many friends I'd gone through school and everyone from my primary school went to the same high school and I had a million friends and knew everyone and I was like I'm I'm not leaving, I'm not even moving to Hobart, which is the other end of the state. Um, but then once my previous coach, Peter Gartrell, moved down to Tassie, he was a distance freestyle coach. I really got into, you know, doing the Ks. I remember clocking 65 Ks a week when I was 13 and 14. And I really started getting into the distance for me. And that year at Age Nationals in 2014, I made, um, I won the 200 400 800 or maybe that was 2015, 2015, I on the 2400-800 and made the Junior World Team. And then that's when Pete decided to move back to Queensland and I pretty much was left on my own. I, I, I thought, well, now I have to move. So he moved back to Queensland and, um, in April and then we moved up in, in June. And so in that period that, um, you know, mum and dad had to sort everything out and, do, you know, do this massive move quickly I trained in a public lane by myself and Peter would send me sessions every day and I'd be doing the Ks, um, you know, swimming around the old people. Um, It was tough. It was a really tough time. But in the end, I'm so grateful that my mum and dad were able to pack everything up and move so quickly, you know, leave their jobs. Um, We moved up to Brisbane and didn't even have a place to live. We stayed with a friend first. And then once we got up here, we kind of sorted everything out. But... Um, yeah, it's definitely the best decision we've ever made.
0: Was it easy or hard at the beginning? I could imagine it's a big change for you. And then you're getting into a new setup there with St. Peter's Western. How, how was that sort of transition for you?
1: In the beginning, um, cause I moved up here and still trained with Peter um, in like it was myself and another I called Remy Fairweather. Mm-hmm. And we trained out of magic college, just the two of us. So it, at in you know, at the start, it was a bit tricky. It was just the two of us trained doing these long kilometres. And then um, I made the move a year later to St. Peter's. And kind of when I moved to St. Peter's, that's when things started to click into gear. When I first moved, um, you know, with Peter, it was hard because I had to make a whole bunch of new friends and moving to a new school. But once I moved to St. Peter's, where I trained with the people I went to school with and I kind of felt like I was part of a community, um, that's where everything really started to click. And, Um, since there it's just kind of kept going up
0: absolutely it hasn't we're going to get to some of those um things in a minute mate. but for a lot of people there's a certain moment could be in training could be at a meet no doubt you've had some experiences at a younger age group level as well with competition but there's usually a moment where things start to become a little bit more realistic all those goals and aspirations that you set you mentioned beijing where you looked at you like oh i want to be there one day everything starts to get a little bit closer for you guys in terms of you know getting your hands on it was there a moment for you that stands out the most say before we get to you know know world champs uh in budapest or even uh, i think you made the short course world champs the year before was there a moment where you went right i feel like i am on the right track here and you know i'm, I'm heading in the right direction
1: i mean i don't think there's one particular moment i mean 2016 um, world short course was my first senior team and For me, in that I made junior pan packs in the middle of 2016, which was when the Rio Olympics were on. And then in that period of time from July to December, I just jumped leaps and bounds in my swimming. And then, so for me to make that team, I think that kind of kick started the growth that I had. But then I feel that two years later at World Short Course in China, where I um, won gold in the 400 and 200 and broke the world record in the 400, I kind of thought to myself, like, you know, I'm on track here. Um, it kind of was probably the most surreal feeling I've, I had in swimming, um, you know, up until that point. So I think that was probably the biggest moment for me. Um, I, I remember prior to that meet um, at trials for the world short course, I swam shocking. I had a terrible meet, but I was lucky to get on the team. And then in that six or seven weeks, um, you know, before worlds, I just did probably one of the best blocks of training I had done Um in my life I just was swimming the house down and then for me to see the results shift, um, you know, I think that was really eye opening for me.
0: How important is that for you? And I see this a lot with swimmers in terms of as coaches, we always talk about follow the process, right? Trust the process, follow the process, which is easier said than done because sometimes you do try and follow it, but the results don't always go your way. How important is it for you? You said that, that, you know, block of training there that you went through and you did a really good block. You worked hard, no doubt. You would have been very consistent. Then you get the results at the end of it. Is that important? Do you think in terms of the young guys listening that, you know, if you do follow the process, that you know those, you will see the results at the end
1: yeah definitely and i think in a moment in a time like this where um most of them are doing a lot of training at the moment um without much racing i think it's just remembering the light at the end of the tunnel you know you're going to eventually be able to race and during a training block you're not going to be up and up and up and up the whole time i think that's something that i have learned you're always you know You can have a great set of training, but you know, you can't keep going up and up and up. You have to go down for a bit to keep going up. And that's something that, um, you know, I've come to terms with. For me, um, when I'm training and trying to make ground, um, I have to get as much momentum as possible. So once I've caught that, I feel like the hardest part is continuing continuing to keep, you know, keep that momentum going. Um, But I just try to take it day by day. I don't really think about, You know, weeks in advance in training, I just think of the session I have that day and do what I have to do that day. And then once I've done that, move on to the next day. So, um, and if that works for me, some people might have to think about, you know, the whole month and that and the scheme of things. But for me, I just try to focus on what I have to do within that hour of the session.
0: Yeah, mate, 2017 world champs in Budapest. Uh, Obviously we mentioned before you you did go to short course the year before, but you know, this was sort of a, a bigger experience, no doubt. What was that experience like because there 's no doubt if I track your career following that, you obviously had a massive two thousand and eighteen which we 'll get to in a, in a moment. so did you sort of get, like, take away any lessons from that world championships that you applied into your racing moving forward? maybe it was the lead up to it that you didn 't quite get right, and then you looked at okay, we can get better at this or what what lessons did you learn from that sort of world champs that you looked and you took forward into the following years to come? Because as I said, 2018, 2019, you killed it. Not that you didn't kill it in 2017, but I'm just, (laughs) I'm assuming that there were lessons along the way there that you sort of, you know, put into practice moving forward.
1: Definitely. Well, Budapest 2017 was, I was 16. um, And it was probably the, you know, the most high pressure situation I'd been in, in my swimming career to date. I'd never, I'd raced on it at a junior level internationally, and I obviously raced at world short course, but I think long course worlds, especially in Budapest, they have this massive arena and the Hungarian fans were crazy. So I think learning to deal with high pressure, pressure racing like that was the biggest thing that I, I got from that. Um, and it was also the first time that I really got to race international competitors that were a lot better than me. My first time I got to race Katie, um, my first time I got to, you know, enjoy the whole you know, Australian team and that type of thing. And then also I was in the four by two relay and I anchored that. And I think that was, you know, probably one of the most exciting things um, winning that bronze medal with the girls. I got to anchor and I remember um, Maddie Wilson had done her leg and she got out and she said to me, the girl next year, she only swims, she only swims a 159. Like you can catch, you can catch her. And this was the Russian team, and I um, thought, oh, right, and I absolutely like maxed it from the from the first fifty. And I watched the replay, and my legs were just going everywhere. But um, pretty good swim though, and I was happy, we were happy to come away with the bronze. But I think learning from that is to keep composure and um, deal with the pressure when racing and that's something that I think I'm really good at Neil. now not you know worrying about the expectation of others and the expectation around me at the meet or the media or other swimmers Um, I think that was a big lesson learnt
0: Well mate as I said there's no doubt that the following year you had a breakout year in terms of you know, the world champs, short course in, in China, Pampax in Tokyo, and of course the Com Games on the Gold Coast, uh, which I'll get to in a moment. But firstly, for all the young listeners out there who might struggle at times with consistency in, in, you know, in performance, what advice would you give to them around that sort of challenge? Because there's no doubt, 2018, you were very consistent in your performances. You mentioned short course, um, you know, in the, in the world, cha- um, sorry, the 400, um, obviously, as I said, the Com Games, you know, how do you look at that year in terms of your consistency and what sort of, um, <laughs> what advice would you give to the younger kids listening?
1: Well, 2018 was a massive year for me because I was actually finishing up year 12. So I decided to do um, year 11 and 12 over three years to kind of space it out and, you know, make training more manageable and give myself time to nap and get physio and that type of thing.
0: Um,
1: but for me in my final year of school, when I knew that there was Com games and Packs and then world short course, I knew that it was going to be a big year. And, um, up until that year, I had really studied hard at school and tried to, you know, keep things pretty even, but, um, you know, with the Com games, especially knowing what an opportunity that would be to race there. Um, I really streamlined my focus into swimming and kind of put studies to the side, which is not something that I encourage, but for me that year, um, it was a once in a lifetime to race at Com games and nine opportunities I had in front of me. I, I had to really put everything into swimming. Um, and I think that's why I had such a great year. I was just completely streamlined um, at training. My head was, swimming, 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 which for some people doesn't work. I mean, a lot of people need that balance in their life. Um, but I'm a bit of an odd character. I don't really need much outside of swimming. I love swimming so much that um, I could do it all day and it wouldn't bother me. So I think for me it was just the consistency that I found in training that was, that gave me the ability to keep racing better and better across the year and just completely focusing um, on what I wanted to do and had my goals right you know in front of my mind every day and i think that's why i had such a consistent year of racing mm.
0: Hey, Comm Games and the Gold Coast, somewhat of a home games for you. Obviously, Tasmania was home, but you know, you've you moved to the Gold Coast. Uh, you moved to Queensland, sorry. So it was somewhat of a home games for you. How do you look back on, on your experience there? No doubt you captured the country's attention in terms of the media because that was all the you know, the media hype around the Com Games. So you, you, know, you captured the, the media's attention, the country's attention with the gold and the 400 and the 800 silver and the two. You must have been pretty happy with how you performed and especially... You mentioned it just before how you performed under pressure. I mean, it's a home games, um, so you know there's a lot of more media hype around it. Um, family and friends and everyone's in the stands, which isn't as you know normal because usually if you're competing overseas, you might have maybe mum or dad, but that's about it. You don't get to yep. see everyone. So, you know, how do you look back on those results?
1: Tom games was such a huge meet. Firstly, it was a massive team. I think because it's able body and paras I think there was about 70 of us on the swim team so it was just huge and it um I think that's something that like struck me how big the team was and then I had a massive program for a six-day meet I had um four by two and the 200 400 800 so that was something that firstly I had to try and manage as best as I could um backing up and backing up but for me Com games was um you know going into racing I always want to know that i've done the training i feel good on the day and i feel good in warm-up and i'm hitting my times in warm-up and then i'm like right i'm ready to go i'm ready to race but because of the week that i had um my 400 was on the second last day and it was my my last event and i had done a massive lot of racing i'd you know had my other events and i had the 800 the day before and i remember my me warming up for the 400 final and i felt absolutely shocking i remember in my pace 50s, like one lap, I was like two seconds off my um, pace. And I was so nervous, like more nervous than any any time before. I think because the 400 was kind of like the one that people expected me to do well in. And that was the first time that I've really felt the pressure of other people. And that definitely got to me when I was, you know, warming up for the race. But, you know, Dean said to me, um, you know, trust your in- instincts. Trust the training that you had done. And I just thought about it all the sessions that I'd done leading up to that and um, I was I was pretty nervous but then I put together a pretty good swim and went um, four double all and I was happy that with that and then to win that and sit on the dais and have this whole crowd every single time you got to stand there and sing the national anthem with the home crowd was just incredible it just like echoed and um, that was that was definitely one of the best the best feelings at Com Games.
0: Well, I'm glad you mentioned singing the anthem. It must have been pretty special standing up in the 800 as well with with the girls, with the all Aussie girls, and singing that national anthem. Firstly, I'll ask about that moment. It must have been special standing up there with the girls.
1: Yeah, I remember, um, you know, the 800, getting to stand on the podium with Kia and Jess, and I remember in the pool we'd just finished and looking up at the scoreboard and seeing one, two, three, and we all gave each other hugs. And, you know, usually it's only two of us. So for us to be able to take the whole podium was something that um you know you don't get to do often and that was so exciting and um it was pretty awesome to sing national anthem with them I mean (laughs) singing wasn't great but (laughs) but um no it it was awesome especially in the 200 as well getting to stand there with Emma um and getting to share the podium with her um then memories that I'll I'll remember forever
0: was going to be my next question. What sort of a national anthem singer are you? Are you the type that because there's a massive crowd, you can kind of mime it and get away without actually, you know, putting in or do you really belt it out?
1: I'm a bit of a, I try to be quiet. I don't want to, I don't want to embarrass myself, but I have a problem sometimes in the, I remember in Gwangju, um with the relay, we were, we were all singing and it was, so bad like it was <laughs> terrible and the camera's like watching you as you're on the podium and I was like don't laugh don't laugh you're and <laughs> but yeah I'm shocking so I try to I sing it but I try to sing it as quietly as I can
0: well, it's definitely interesting to watch, uh, even in the stands, if you go to even a football game or whatever, if you just look around you, there's always people who pretend they're singing, there's always that one or two guys who are just like getting right into it, and they yeah. actually think they're, they're the ones that you know the, the music is coming from, they still, I think they want to take over and go down and do it themselves, so it is always interesting <laughs> to see you guys when you're up there, who actually gets right into it. and uh who's a little bit because everyone's different in terms of your yeah. you know your nature aren't you some people are you know are happy to sort of sing loudly some are a bit more reserved and quiet and they're yeah. like oh i don't really want to sing out loud
1: some people don't know that they're bad at singing
0: Well, oh, that's yeah that is very but true i know i'm
1: bad i know i'm bad so i i, I don't want to embarrass myself so just like a little mouse. still sing it <laughs> but just quietly
0: <laughs> that is very true. There's a lot of people out there that don't know that they're not very good singers. Um, <laughs> speaking of music, do you have any, you know, music that you listen to before a race? Are you someone that likes to sort of get into a, a zone with music or do you sort of, you know, try and stay away from that?
1: I'm not really heavily into music in general. Like I like listening to music, but I'm not a bit, I'm not a fanatic. Like I, I don't have like a set genre that I'm really into, but um to me, my mum has this playlist and she's a massive headbanger and she's um, the most competitive person I know other than Dean. She is nuts. And um, so she, I listen to her playlist every time before I race and she's got um, like ACDC, Guns and Roses, In Excess, um, all of it, um, Rolling Stones. And... That even though I would never listen to that usually for some reason before I race, just having it loud in my ears just kind of gets me going and then it's also nice because it's something you know, it kinda of feels like my mum's there with me. But yeah, yeah, for the past few years now, that's all I've listened to when I'm racing and um I just put it on shuffle and there's a few songs that I, that I skip but um the the good ones that, you know, get me going.
0: It's a very nice touch with Mum's Playlist. Now, what about favourite meals? Is there something in terms of pre-race, so the night before a big meet? Is there something you like to have?
1: Um, I mean, definitely if we're racing domestically, I, I like cooking for myself and it gives you that freedom to eat whatever you like. So I'll probably have like a, a, a rice, dish um you know not too heavy with the meat because I don't want to feel heavy but um uh, maybe some pasta has to be gluten-free for me which sucks but <laughs> um but yeah like a good good amount of carbs I just try to have I'm, I'm not too like traditional with my meals I mean that's something that I think you have to get out of habit of you know when you have to race overseas when you don't know what to expect um but you know definitely a big carb load and uh, lots of water and that type of thing, but I'm not too
0: phased. Well, we've talked about Dean. We've sort of mentioned him, so I want to get into you know your partnership now. No doubt he's one of the best in the business. What makes your partnership work so well? Do you think?
1: I think for us, um, ever since I met him, or you know he started to be my coach, we kind of just clicked, and then because of that, we just kind of had this undeniable trust um, within each, you know, between each other. And I think that's because we're both completely honest about things and not just for me, but life and in conversation, we're very open with each other. And I think um, that helps me understand, you know, what he's doing as my coach to make try and make me better. I 100% believe um you know, that he thinks that's the best thing for me. So I think trust is the biggest thing in communication. Um, and I also think, you know, personality is part of it. And for some reason, his personality and my personality as coach-athlete just click. And I'm very lucky in that sense. Um, a lot of people with their coach just have a coach-athlete relationship. But with Dean and I, I think one of the greatest things is that we get along and, you know, talk about other stuff that's not about swimming and you know we have a laugh and a joke but um you know it's definitely tough on me um but yeah in the end we're all we hold no grudges always um leave the pool with a smile
0: Mm. what wouldn't we know about dean is there anything that you guys as athletes get to see on pool deck that we might not know from the outside looking in
1: well, anyone that's been around Dean on Pool Egg knows when he's in charge of the speaker, all you're going to hear is Tool. And his favourite song, which goes for 14 minutes, is Numa. And um, he play, sometimes when it first came out, he played it on repeat the entire session. So you, you just hear Numa like eight times and the session's done. Uh, but um, in terms of his personality, um, Dean can seem Quite often, you know, hard task master, which he is and tough and brutal, um, which he is on pool deck, but he's, you know, quietly a softie um, and I think his athletes will get to see that side of him, you know, sometimes doesn't come out often, but he definitely is a softie at heart and um, <laughs> he does have a heart in the end.
0: I was going to say, do you think so much of it in terms of with Dean? Because there's no doubt he's passionate. There's no doubt, you know, he's going to wear his heart on his sleeve. He's going to give you everything he's got. There's a lot of respect from you guys as athletes to see your coach putting in so much effort, putting in so much work and seeing how much it means to him to see you guys succeed as well, right?
1: Yeah, I think for him, um, he is the way he is and he's passionate because he wants to see every single person that he coaches achieve the absolute best. And I believe he sees everyone's potential more than what we see in ourselves. And that's why he pushes so hard. Like I know the reason why he pushes so hard with me is because he believes in me and, you know, knows what I can do more than what I do. And that's why he he is tough. Um, and I think he wants people to achieve things in his swimming career that maybe he didn't get to, you know, he was, a, he was a great swimmer when he was younger and, you know, he never made, went to the Olympics. And I think he wants people to achieve that maybe because he didn't get to. And um, that's, you know, his passion is something that I think is his greatest asset. Um, he has such a passion and love for the sport and that's why he's a great coach.
0: Well, you guys have a great team there in terms of the coaching staff there at St. Peter's Western, but also obviously a tremendously talented squad. I've had many, many of your uh, squad actually on the podcast (laughs) uh, for a chat. Um, You know, there's no doubt in terms of the athletes that you have around you, it must be make it a little bit easier in terms of training to be pushing yourself in the water, knowing that, you know, the wealth of talent you have around you that are pushing themselves to achieve their goals as well
1: yeah definitely. I feel you know obviously there's you see some people do things in training um you know some you know some people do stuff that just inspires you and that can get you going in training, but then also because we have such a a large group that's also good, we are able to train and race with each other and push each other in the sets and For us, um, the distance group, we have a great distance group now. You know, when I first moved, um, it was a little bit smaller and the group's kind of building and um, I love racing and training and, um, you know, the boys are a bit faster than me but um, that's something that I like and I have to try and keep up with them and Dean pushes me to try to keep up with them and I definitely think without the squad, none of us would be where we are. You know, I've trained by myself before and it's tough and... So getting to do, you know, day in, day out, you know, the sessions with a huge group is great.
0: I was going to ask about that given how competitive you are and, and, you know, obviously I know you train with some of the boys as well. So how often do you look across and go, all right, let's go and sort of, you know, match it with, you know, obviously people that, you know, might just be a little bit faster than you as well.
1: I mean, that's something that um, I think definitely gets you over the line in training. It's something that I think comes you know, some days you're extra competitive and even in just the easy easy warm up you want to touch the wall first. But um in main sets I feel that little push when you're next to someone kind of gives you that extra edge that you didn't know that you had in the session. And um for a while there I was you know, swimming next to one of the boys who was pretty much the exact same speed as me and we really were going going at it um together. We would do the same times every session and that was great. But now it's bit different i'm trying to chase them down and we now have elijah um in our group as well so he's a lot faster than me and getting to see what he does in training um you know you know really excites me and um he pushes hard so i think even though i'm i can't be up with him i try to you know push hard as well and um you know see that we both do great swims in training
0: All right. Let's talk about last year's world champs in Guangzhou. Firstly, you know, did you feel leading into it that you were ready to achieve the results you did? We talked about the, you know, tremendous block in 2018 that you've, you know, you said you've sort of had a fair idea. You would do pretty well because you had a really good block of training leading in. What about for last year in the world champs? Was it similar in the lead up? Did you feel that all the sort of boxes were getting ticked along the way?
1: feel like in 2018 at Pampax um I knew that I would be closer to Katie than I ever had been before but I knew that you know it was still kind of a one person's race I knew that I wouldn't be able to beat her and it was more me trying to achieve personal goals like going under four minutes which was a huge moment for me and um you know I definitely think that that was one of the you know highlights of my career to date but then last year I definitely knew that I was feeling better and um it would be more of a race. I'd never really been in a race, actual race situation with her. And I thought going into worlds, it would be a race. Um, Honestly, I didn't think that I would be able to beat her going into that. I still, and I still believe that she is a better swimmer than me. It just wasn't her day um, that day. And it ended up being a great day for me. Um, But, you know, I I definitely was swimming the best I had going into that meet. and And I knew that I had a shot, um, but I still didn't believe that um, the race was mine. Yeah. I I knew that it was would something that I really had to work for, and um, it would be yeah definitely a more race situation in, in which the end, in the end it was it was you know the last fifty I had to try and find something to come over the top, and um, yeah I remember that and. Yeah, it was cool.
0: Absolutely. We'll get to it in a second, but you know, obviously the personal accolades always get spoken about a lot, but there's no doubt the four by two relay uh was a massive moment for for you and the girls, and I want to touch on that as well. Obviously, as I said, huge moment, world record. I've had Maddie on the on the podcast, I've had Brianna on. I haven't had Emma yet, so we'll have to get to Emma as well. But everyone, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, says what, what a moment it was. Um, Talk to me about that because obviously you said in 2017 you anchored to to the bronze. This was obviously, uh, I think you led off in this one, didn't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. For us as girls, I mean, especially in Australia, the depth that we have in our freestyle events is unbelievable. So I think just everyone getting faster and faster and, you know, the standard getting higher and higher to make the team and make the relay teams, I think is something that has pushed us to believe that we, we could win at worlds in the, in the relay. And, you know, I think we going into the race, I knew we had a great team. And if we all did our job, um, you know, the gold medal should have been ours. And in the end it was. And um, I feel like relay swimming is just something different to individual, individual. um, As much as I love racing and swimming, I feel, you know, nerves and, um, you know, expectation on myself to achieve something. And, if, if I don't quite you know achieve it I get I, you know I get down but in relays I think it's um, it's strange like you can be more chatty in the marshalling room and you can be you know not as nervous and you can be more vocal excited and for some reason you still say stay focused and for me usually in a marshalling room I have to be you know quite quiet and you know secluded and try to really think about what I have to do and get my mind on but before a relay, you know, I'm just as focused but can manage to have fun and be with the girls and getting to celebrate that with, with the other three and getting to cheer. Cheer my home was just so exciting. Um, yeah, I, I remember it and standing on pool deck and seeing the world record, which is something that we honestly hadn't even thought about, um, was, you know, so exciting. And then obviously getting to go through the whole, you know, medal ceremony and everything with them was, um, was amazing.
0: Absolutely. I think you girls are doing a great job in terms of, you know, inspiring all the young athletes and, and the young girls coming through today and seeing you girls do that was was a, a prime example of that. Now, the 400 freestyle, the gold medal has been talked about a lot and no doubt will continue to be talked about a lot in the build up to Tokyo. And before I get to the race itself, I, I've got to ask. The media are very good in this country at building up a superstar and there's no doubt that after the comm games and then beating katie last year in the world champs that you shot straight to the top of that list in terms of you know the media and swimming and swimming in australia how have you gone around that and trying to manage those expectations of others? Cause it's certainly, you've got your own, but you know, it's a whole other story to have, you know, media people. And I try not to do this myself in my questions on here, but obviously people try and put things on. Yeah. You. Oh, you think you can be Katie, what do you think you're going to do next year? What do you think you're going to do with this? How have you gone around that? Because obviously it's not something you get trained for it 's not something you, as much as you know swimming australia i 'm sure do some media training you don 't get trained for you know um, you know trying to achieve your goals, and all of a sudden you 're there, and then the microphones are oh so do you think you can get you can beat katie yeah. that's not something you get you guys get trained for. How have you gone around sort of managing those expectations and sort of not blocking them out but dealing with them and then moving on
1: I feel for me um, I'm pretty good at you know compartmentalizing things and um I'm pretty good at dealing with pressure I feel and to be honest I think that um the pressure that Dean puts on me in training and for what he expects of me in racing it just takes over everything else because it's so high and um to be honest even though this sounds a bit silly growing up in Tassie where um there's a bit of that you know tall poppy syndrome um when I was 12, 13, um, you know, I started to really rise up the national ranks. You'd get like the back page of the paper. So like winning at States on the weekend. So you, you'd get that like media attention. And um, I think, you know, when you start, you know, having to talk about young, it can help. And um, for me, I've kind of always just spoken my mind and just tried to go along with the media. Um, I don't try. I don't look at it as a burden or um, extra pressure. I feel. I just try to use it as um, fuel, I guess, to to, to swim better. But um, I, yeah, I just, I just think honestly, being so hard on me that it just takes over everything else, and um, you know, yeah, I don't know. I think the media most most of the time are nice, which is good.
0: Yeah. Oh, I think, and this is the other thing. I think they're all well-intentioned when they do ask these questions. I just think a lot of the people when they do ask that come from a non swimming background or a non sort of sport background. So the way they're asking it, they don't really understand how they're doing it. Um, You must be happy with the 400, obviously the gold, the PB, everything you trained for everything you prepared for was achieved in that moment. I know you said, you know, you still feel like, you know, Katie was the better swimmer and you were just on the day, you know, it was your day, but there's no doubt, you know, if you don't put in the work, if you don't put in those days of, of grinding and, and mentally just staying switched on, that moment doesn't become yours. That's still Katie's and you fall just behind. So it must have been a special moment for you.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, as much as I love swimming and training and the whole sport, I think that. You know, when you have a goal that is, you know, in swimming, a lot of your goals are very long-winded. And for me, um, my goal has never been to beat Katie. My goal was just to become faster. And on that day, that was good enough to win. So, personally, the time that I did um, was, was the goal that I had and to execute my race and then for that to be good enough to win was just a bonus. And, you know, for me... Um, With her and my events, it just happens to be that it's going to be a bit more challenging to become Olympic champion or world champion. And then that's just the way it is. She's just an incredible athlete and I have to, you know, be better to win. So um, I think for me, it was just kind of like the feeling of ticking another box and moving on and not trying to dwell because I still knew that I had the Olympics. So I think for me that the biggest thing it gave me was race confidence, knowing that I could race when I had to. Um, In in a tough situation and um, put together, you know, the 400 that I wanted to and my training had, you know, somewhat come together. So um, that was, the, you know, the the biggest thing, I think.
0: It's interesting you say that in terms of, um, you know, you want to become an Olympic champion. It just so happens that Katie Ledecky is in the same race that you're racing. Do you think you know, looking back and looking at it now that you appreciate having her there because you know, when, you know, if if you get that moment that you've beaten the absolute best. Now I bring this up because I spoke to Chad LaCleau, as I said before, not long ago. And he always said that he enjoyed racing Michael Phelps because he knew, and you know, he, he won in, in London. Um, obviously he, he beat Michael, but he knew if he got, that moment that he'd beaten the absolute best that there wasn't, Oh, Michael wasn't there today. So I I got the moment. It was, I beat the absolute best. Do you think there's a little bit of that with you as well that, you know, you know, having the best, you know, probably ever, let's be honest, Katie Ledecky is an absolute legend that if you get that moment that, you know, no one could, that's, that's absolutely, you know, you've beaten the absolute best.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think definitely. And for me as well, I think if, Katie wasn't racing. Um, I wouldn't have such a high standard to try and achieve. And I don't think I would be swimming as fast as I am without her because she's always set a benchmark that I've had to try and push to get to. And, um, you know, it definitely makes you want to push more because there's always someone in front of you. And definitely I think beating Katie, um, you know, it was, it was, you know, you, you had beaten the best person and, um, it, I think if she wasn't there, it you know, even though I wouldn't, it, like, you know, say she actually didn't do the race, um, you know, it wouldn't feel like as much of a win, as it as you said, if she's in the race. Um, but for me, I think the biggest thing is just having her there um, to set the standard. I think standard's a big thing. Um, you know, if the best 400 freestyler in the world was 402, I don't think, um, you know, no one would be going any, you know, pushing harder but yeah. the fact that she's gone 356 I think more and more girls are going to start trying to push under that 4 minute mark because she sets such a high standard
0: Absolutely. And I'm glad you sort of mentioned that in terms of you guys pushing the envelope and you girls here in Australia, uh, absolutely are pushing the envelope and and helping, you know, young girls here in Australia and young swimmers coming through, you know, look at you girls achieving things. Uh, I think we're in a a golden time in terms of, you know, we've got Kate and Bronte, Emma McKee and yourself, obviously Brianna Thross or Kayla McKee. Um, McEwan I mean, I could keep going really <laughs> Maddie Wilson. I could keep going with heaps. And then you look at the wealth of talent coming through, which I've had on the podcast and you get to train with, um, you know, I think you guys even did a four by two relay camp not long ago with a lot of those younger girls that came along and you got to, you know, train with them. It's an exciting time for the young girls coming through in this country. Isn't it? I actually think even going forward from now in the next five years, it's even going to get bigger.
1: Definitely. And I remember being in that position, being like a, a young 15 year old wanting to crack onto the team and you're just, you know, train that house down just to try and get the tiniest little, you know, get on a camp here and, you know, make this team here. But to me, um, it's, it's, you know, I'm still pretty young, but getting to see, you know, Jenna, Molly, I train with Meg Harris as well, getting to see them train, um, you know, you know, race me and beat me in training sometimes is, um, it's cool. And especially on that four by two camp, you know, Jenna got pulled onto that camp, um, you know, I think a little bit last minute and she just like trained the house down on that camp and, you know, fit into the group and um, was doing some of the best times that everyone in, in, in the whole camp. So I think that just goes to show that there's a lot of girls that are pushing to try and crack onto the team just as I did. So, you know, as much as you're aiming for that top person, there's always going to be people underneath trying to come up. And I think sometimes maybe when you're not watching, if you can, you can pounce. So um, that's what keeps you on your toes in training. And, you know, there's always going to be someone there around the world. And, you know, even just at St. Peter's. So I think that's why swimming, especially, you know, in Australia with this, it was our women's freestyle. is just getting better and better because we're, or pushing each other to get faster.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's a wealth of talent, as I said, and you're very fortunate. You get to train with some of those girls mm-hmm. who are going to be knocking on that door very shortly. So you know what's coming your way. That's for sure. I'm interested mm-hmm. by, in marshalling area and especially in the, you know, the 400, which, you know, obviously now, you know, maybe before when you were coming through, it was like, oh, there's Ariane, She's a, you know, a good up and coming girl, you know, we've got to keep an eye on her. But now, You know, if if you're the world champion, there's a, there's a little bit of a bullseye on your back in terms of the girls in the marshalling, especially coming into the final. Do you feel that, or is that something you sort of block out in terms of marshalling and you still have your own processes that you go through?
1: I feel like I'm pretty lucky in my events. Everyone's pretty friendly. Um, I don't really feel like going into a race in a hostile marshalling environment. Um, I don't know, I'm lucky the girls that I'm with are quite friendly and we talk and as much as I try to stay focused and keep my mind on the job, um, I never really feel like it's a super competitive environment, which is good even when I was, you know, in Budapest and I was an up-and-comer, um, you know, compared to last year, I feel like it's been the same vibe and, you know, say good luck and be friendly and um, I'm lucky in that sense. I'm, I don't know, maybe the sprinters are a bit different but <laughs> maybe our us are a bit more placid.
0: I was going to say, maybe it's just the, you know, the boy sprinters that more um, get, uh, you know, puff the chest out and get a bit more amongst it in the marshalling area.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely. Right, mate, stepping away from the pool now, what do you get up to when you're not going up and down the black line? And let's face it with the kilometers you've got to do, there's a lot of going up and down the black line. So yeah. when you get to get away, what do you do?
1: I'm a massive foodie and I love cooking and, um, in lockdown, that's something that I took advantage of. I was cooking so much, and I actually had to stop. I was, I was doing too much. I was like, I can't eat all this. Um, so that's something that I'm really into, and I just try to experiment and I make up recipes. I mean, now that I'm back into full training, it's a bit harder to do that, and I'm trying to keep my diet on track and eat a bit plainer. I can't really afford to be extravagant at the moment, but um, that's something that I really enjoy. Um, I don't know, but hanging out with friends. Um, going to be just doing small things i mean i don't really get to live a normal life of a 20 year old so um just the small things that it, you know you get to do outside of something make a big difference
0: what uh some of your specialties mate in the kitchen what are some of the things that you you know you put it down and you're like do you know what i actually think i could sell this and people would pay it, it's that good
1: um hmm. i do pretty good like um beef cheeks like slow cooked beef cheeks with like a parsnip puree that's pretty good um my mom's favorite dessert is um pavlova and i mean pavlova is not once you know how to do it it's not that hard but i think it's pretty hard to like make a really good one and get like the marshmallow and the crust and like not have it collapse mm. so i can do a pretty good pad um, and Dean will disagree because he somewhat believes he's um, more of a chef than me. Um, but he, I think I do a pretty mean Thai green curry. Um, but he, when I cooked it for him, he goes, no, nah, it's just missing something. It's just missing, you know, a little bit little bit here. And I was like, why don't you go and make your own curry taste? Like, <laughs> seriously. Um, but no, I think I do a pretty good Thai green curry as well.
0: What about uh, uni and and training? How do you find that balance?
1: So at the moment, I'm not studying. Um, I've deferred. So I'm studying exercise and sports science. But I decided to um, put that on hold until after the Olympics. And I was going to come back to it while, you know, training was stopped and that type of thing. But, you know, Dean and I decided, look, if I had planned to not study and focus on training up until the Olympics, that's something that I had to stick to. So um that's what I decided. So I'll go back to that um after Olympics. But you know, I thought that I would get bored, but I still find manage to find keep myself busy and I don't even when you like start something up it's like, you know, how am I gonna fit this in? But then you just you just manage to do it. So I'm excited to get back to that though.
0: Absolutely. One question for the younger swimmers out there and you mentioned before obviously uh with school and it it wasn't always easy to find the balance. When school was at its, you know, busiest and there was exams and stuff going on, you were still obviously uh at the elite level even if it was at an age group level. How, how did you manage to find that balance?
1: I think for me a really good time management um and routine is the key. Um I'm quite a routine person in life anyway, and especially with swimming so I think, you know, finding the spare time that you have, whether it's half an hour here, half an hour there, just to finish off a little bit of work is what you have to do. Um, I mean, some people are more like, oh, I haven't got three hours to do study, so I'm not going to do any. But I think just finding those little pockets of time that you have is the key. And I think really as much as, um, you know, study may take up sleep time, I think getting as much sleep as you can is really important as well. Um, I sometimes struggle with that. I remember I'd get home from swimming and I have, you know, assignment I do the next morning and I'd go to bed at like eight 30 and I'd wake up at two before training and finish my assignment in bed before school and then, um, go to swimming and then go to school. But I think definitely, you know, writing things down, um, good time management is the best way to go. I mean
0: that's perfect advice. Now, mate, as you know, cause you've listened to a few of the podcasts, I like to finish things with a little bit less serious questions because I think it gives us a good idea as to, you know, what you like outside of swimming and what you like to get up to and listen to and watch and all that sort of stuff. Um, So I'll throw it out there and whatever first comes to your head, um, you know, throw out that answer. Don't be embarrassed. It's okay. This is a safe (laughs) space. Um, You mentioned obviously your mum's playlist, but what's your favorite music to listen to?
1: Um, I mean, I don't have a specific genre. I'm more of like a fan of like a particular artist. Like I used to be massive Justin Bieber fan. Like I've been to all his concerts, that type of thing. But now I'm obsessed with Shawn Mendes and he just released a new song yesterday. And I'm the weirdo that drives to an appointment I had 20 minutes early so I can sit in the car and watch the YouTube live premiere. Um, So I'm not a fan of particular artists, Um, but, you know, kind of like pop radio, I listen to pretty bad. Like I'm I'm never in charge of the speaker because I'm not a massive um, muso.
0: Well, mate, talk to me about this. Are you that crazy that you've ever gone to say, you know, you knew, say, for example, Sean Mendez was coming to Australia. You knew he was flying in to Brisbane at a certain time. Cause I've actually had swimmers who were massive back in the day, like Cody Simpson fans or Justin Bieber or even One Direction. And I would say, What are you doing today? And they'd go, Oh, I'm flying I'm going to the airport with mum. Why? Where are you going? Nowhere. Um, you know, Cody Simpson's coming in. Like, are you serious? What are no, you gonna I- do?
1: I haven't done that but last time um Bieber was here I was in the VIP section and I remember telling Dean the concert I think he was coming on at like nine and I was like I can't train tonight I've got to be at Suncorp at two and he's like why are you got to be there at two and I was like you know, I gotta get there early like you know see everything you know get my VIP package that type of thing but um yeah, I'm not that, I'm not super, I'm not that crazy. I haven't got enough time to do that.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, no, those girls were nuts. Um, what about favourite movies? What what sort of movies do you like to watch?
1: I'm a massive romance fan. I mean, I pretty much have like 10 movies. I circulate like over and over and over. Um, everyone that knows me knows that I I don't really go outside my box of movies. Um, and I'm, I get so scared. It's like, scary. I can't even watch like, even though it's not a movie, I can't even watch Vampire Diaries. Like, I find that scary. So, like, The Notebook, um, The Holiday, Endless Love, they're, like, my, my jam. Love a good yeah. love story. Yeah.
0: The Vow. Have you watched The Vow?
1: Yeah, i watched The Vow. Oh. Yeah.
0: I know that's why anytime it's Valentine's day, I try and always make sure uh, myself and my wife are out somewhere having dinner. or I do try and plan something so we don't have to be home to watch the rubbish that's going to be on TV. Uh, no offense to people who enjoy it, but it's just not, it's not going to get me going. That's for sure. What about, um, Hey, do you have any fears? So not obviously f- nothing profound, but it might be like spiders or something silly yeah. like that. What What are some of your biggest fears?
1: I have a phobia pretty much of anything that is crawly or like bites um, at training. Like if there's literally a cockroach in the pool, I'll jump out. Um, I'm so scared of bugs, like incredibly scared of bugs. Like the other day um, I was driving actually, and like a cockroach, um, which I don't even know where it came from. Like it walked across the front of my windscreen inside my car. Thank God I was at a red light because I could have literally crashed. Um, but like snakes. I remember we went on a um, training camp for Thailand once and um, one of the mums came and she's all into um, hiking and running. And she's like, we're going to go on this massive hike up this hill. And it's right in the middle, like stinking hot. So all the snakes are out and everything. And I was like, I am not going like, this is not going <laughs> to be good. And she said, Oh, I've seen like three snakes the past week. Like you'll be fine. And I was like, "No!" <laughs> so have we went on that. And the whole time, the whole way up, I cried. I was just petrified. And we, on the way back down, we saw this massive spider web with this spider that was like the size of a hand. And I was done. Like, I never, ever going to a hike again. But, yeah, creepy crawly snakes, mm. wasps bees bugs all that yeah. i'm so
0: scared yeah, you're of. out it's funny you say spiders and with that car story uh, just reminded me of so many times of just driving along and then you see out of the corner of your eye I see a spider just crawling oh. around to the front and you're like oh no don't go in don't go in and then you see him go like under and i don't oh just you've just got to pray oh, at that stage I that's know. all you can do you're on the highway you've just got to pray <laughs> that, that spider doesn't um you know drop on your foot or into your lap or something because I mean, I'm not scared of spiders, but I would probably freak out if a spider dropped on me uh, while I was on the highway. Oh, so I, I feel you.
1: I'd, I'd be gone. <laughs> I'd be gone. What
0: about a TV shows to binge watch? Um,
1: hmm. I'm not really like, you know, super one of those people that like is on Netflix and is like watching all day. But, um, you know, back in the day, I definitely finished Pretty Little Liars, finished Suits, um. I am actually watching at the moment. My mum and I have watched it together. It's, um, cause it's the Ride Horses. Um, we've watched the series Heartland together, which is like, you know, a family living on a ranch, It's mm-hmm. you know, quite tame, but it's easy watching. So I'm watching that, yeah, you know, but um, I don't know. I used to watch the Kardashians a bit. Like I'm pretty much into trashy stuff. Like I, I'm not really into, you know, Game of Thrones. That's way too scary, um, that type of thing just kind of watch what, what's, what's on at the moment, botched. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I watch a few botched episodes, which are pretty funny, but um, Real Housewives when it's on, but yeah. I'm not like a TV fanatic.
0: It's funny you say horses. I've got a two-year-old daughter, as I said, you know, I had to put it down just before we started this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she loves the show Spirit. So I don't know if you've seen that on Netflix. It's a cartoon. So, I mean, it's all about horses. and.
1: Maybe you have to buy her a pony.
0: Oh, I'd actually, don't don't get me started. I've told my wife I'd like to, but she's out um, ranked me and said no, we're not getting one. Um, also, we don't live anywhere near. Like, yeah, <laughs> if you saw my backyard, <laughs> there's no way we could have a pony. But it's just, you know, she loves horses, so I try and just buy her anything she wants, uh, as what dads do. Um, <laughs> What about maybe favorite quotes? So obviously there's no doubt. I feel like Dean would be a man that would love some quotes. I feel like you've been on enough teams now that you would have been given some quotes. And I feel like you're someone who probably like a few yourself.
1: Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'm not really into quotes. I mean, Dean definitely says some one-liners someday that I'm just like, whoa, like that's crazy. But like, I can't really, I can't really think of them on the spot, but like stupid, silly ones. Um, hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think. Like, um, I don't know. He he definitely like lingers on the theme for a while of, you know, a joke or or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I'm not really huge in, this, in quotes. I remember Stephanie Rice when I first met her. She signed one of my T-shirts and she signed it with um, be the best you can be. And I, that's kind of stuck with me. I mean, it's you know try and reach your potential in life and for me and that type of thing but um i'm not really massively a quote person
0: i think it puts everything into perspective that quote though doesn't it i mean you know we can get caught up in you know as i said you trying to you know raise katie next year but at the end of the day your goal is to try and be the best you can be and if the best you can be is to do it then as i say, yeah i think it's a good quote in terms of you know narrowing everything into putting it into perspective
1: Yeah, definitely. I think if you know that you've done everything you can, you couldn't do anything else. I mean, every stone's turned over and you're still not the best, then you can't do anything else. You've still got to be happy and give yourself a pat on the back and know that you've done your best.
0: I absolutely uh, understand what you mean about sometimes with Dean's one-liners. There's, uh, there's times where I'm on fire in terms of just speeches and doing this and doing that. And I'll say something and I'll say to the kids, write that down because that just came from the top yeah. of my head. I don't know where that came from, but write that down because I'll probably forget it once, once that yeah. moment's over. I, I don't even remember what I said. Um, mate, I think that's a perfect opportunity to wrap it up. I want to thank you very much for agreeing to come on. I know how busy you are, and as I said, we're doing this on a Saturday at lunchtime, which I'm sure you've got a lot of other things that you could <laughs> be doing instead of sitting here looking and talking to my big head. So, um, I appreciate it a lot. Thank you very much. Good luck over obviously the next, you know, year and, and training and, and obviously going on to secure your spot for Tokyo and then you know, going on from there to to chase your goals and, and being the best you can be. So until we chat again, thank you very much for coming on Off The Block Swimming Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Today's wow. episode of Off The Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you, as always, by our good friends at Pro Swim Workouts. Only two eps to go in Season 3, and we have saved the biggest till the end as we gear up for the season two launch of the isl so make sure you are listening tomorrow for our two massive episodes coming your way also a big arena goggles giveaway tomorrow keep your eyes glued to instagram for that and how you can get your hands on some great arena goggles until then though guys keep smiling don't let the negative people get to you live the dream and it's bye for now